Well, picture these scenarios. Debbie gets angry with her children but desires to fight that anger that is within her. Fred has a gambling problem but is too ashamed to talk about it. Or uh, Wendy shows that she's in, a, in an aggressive career and that if she doesn't be careful, it will overtake her life. One of the greatest lies of the evil one is to think that as Christians we can do the Christian life alone, that we can fight sin um, by our own agenda and by our own strength. And yet one of the arguments that I've been making is that Christians should never fight alone, that, that we are in a war for life and death, and the battle cannot be won by fighting alone. You need the help of other believers. I need the help of other believers. This is God's design for our lives to fight side by side with others who are struggling to put off sin and to look more like Christ. And so to that end, we want to spend today thinking about biblical accountability and what it looks like in the life of believers. Alright, so let's begin by looking at the, the first main heading there. Christians should pursue accountability. We should start with three biblical reasons why we want to pursue accountability. Number one, Scripture warns against concealing our sin. Scripture warns against concealing our sin. Solomon writes that he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That's Proverbs 28.13. So we are fools to hide our sins from God. Obviously, that's pretty clear. God sees everything. His eyes roam over all the earth and He sees everything. So we can't hide our sins from God. And so confession to God is a good thing. David cries out in Psalm 51, 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Our sin as Christians is ultimately an offense before a holy God. So whether we sin against another person or we sin against another group of people, um, ultimately every sin is a sin against God and it's ultimately an offense to Him. And we must run to God first before we reconcile with human beings. Um, and I think healthy discipleship relationships include conversation about sin. Um, the way that, that I've heard it explained helpfully and the way that I've tried to, to help you as well is to say that it's, it's good to, to let other people know that you have sin. Okay? And, and the way that the, the illustration is, you know, it's, it's good to tell people that you have clay feet. It's another thing to take off your shoes and show them. Okay? So, uh, it doesn't mean you need to get into all the the deep and dirty secrets of your life, um, but there should be some kind of accountability going on with other believers. We shouldn't put on this this um, this cloak of perfection that says, you know, I never have any trouble with sin. I never have to struggle with any of those things. I, that's never an issue with me. So um, I, I think maybe in some cases it might be helpful to to get down a little bit deeper into some of the the areas of sin that are troubling us and that are besetting us. But in general, our our relationship should be one that are honest about our sin. And there should be some close relationships where we're a little little bit more serious about those things and a little bit more accountability is is being uh, executed there. And so that means that we're going to have to bring our sin into the light. You know, by nature, men love darkness rather than light. And they don't want their deeds exposed. They don't want their deeds to come out into the open. 
And so it's not natural for us, even as Christians, to bring that to the light. But God, God certainly must be hearing about our sin from our mouths specifically. And I think uh, there should be some close relationships that we have where we're also talking to others about it because um, there is a great warning against concealing our sin. Number two, Scripture warns against self-deceit. Scripture warns us about self-deceit. I'm not sure if you've uh, ever had the experience where you're driving down the expressway and someone comes up on your right side and without you even knowing and, and maybe you start to move over into that lane and and maybe you hit them or maybe they beep the horn and, and say some choice words for you. But um, those are blind spots that we have naturally within the vehicle. We have to make sure that we're looking back to see what's going on on both sides of the vehicle before we, we shift into the lanes. And I think the same thing is true in the Christian life that, that there can be some blind spots that come into, uh, that are out of view from us and that, that, that can be deceiving to us that we think it's not an issue for me. And um, sometimes it's ignorance that, that sin can, can make me blind to my own faults. Sometimes it's simply, I mean, it's, it's just straightforwardly deception that, that, that our sin always tends to deceive us, that, that it's not as bad as maybe uh, we look at it. Uh, and when other people see it, they're not, it's not that big of a deal. They struggle with the same thing. Turn to Hebrews 3, um, because here the pastor of Hebrews, uh, the pastor of the Hebrews, the, the Jerusalem church here, is talking to believers and he's warning them about the danger of of sin's deception that there is a natural deception that comes from this powerful sin that indwells us and this sin that is attacking us from this evil world system and would someone read verses 12 and 13 Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Self-deceit is something that affects every single one of us. The author of Hebrews warns believers that you need to be careful, that despite all of your riches in Christ, but despite your position, in Christ, you can still make foolish choices that lead to a sinful, unbelieving heart. That that our sin actually brings about a self-deceit that that leads us to a temporary atheism. Have you ever been in that position where you know what God says about a certain thing? You know you shouldn't be doing this, and yet you do it anyway. Uh, maybe it's because you temporarily are putting him out of view. I'm not going to I'm not going to think about the fact right now that God is watching this. Or maybe it's because you've gotten so deep into your sin that that it just feels okay, like God must allow it. We start to justify it over time. And we turn to our own self-dependence and we stop trusting God. We live more according to the world than according to the truth. And that's what happens with sin. It deceives us into thinking that we're okay. We're going we're gonna to whip this. It's going to be fine. You know, yeah, there's some negative consequences to it, but we'll take care of those. Consequences aren't going to be that bad. Or 
you know, it's it's getting worse than it was before, but that's okay. I'll 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 get over this at some point. Oh, that's the nature of sin. It, it's constantly deceiving us. Have you ever met someone like that, a Christian, um, you know, who is just so blinded by their sin? They they didn't see it, and yet it's starting to. Before it starts out where we we kind of hide our sin initially, and then it starts to come exposed. Right, sin eventually will will um, come to the surface in our lives, and it's going to show up. Something that we have been hiding maybe for days or months or years will finally come to the surface in some big way, and yet still we have been deceiving ourselves this whole time, and yet other Christians are there to say, hey, do you see what's going on here? you see how serious this is? So, so perhaps you've experienced it from that perspective where you've tried to help somebody else see their blind spot, but maybe you've also experienced where someone else has helped to see, helped you to, to see your own blind spot. That, that you had an area of sin that you just thought, this isn't that big of a deal. And you had some Christians approach you, um, maybe some close friends, and say, listen, this is something that will destroy you. What's the antidote of self-deceit? How, how do we get over self-deceit? Well, the, the text tells us here. It says there in verse 13, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that, that's the key phrase there, so that none, none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, we could ask the question, how can we avoid being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Verse 13 tells us in the first part, by encouraging one another. It doesn't say, just you know, pull up your bootstraps and just work really hard and you'll be able to avoid being deceived. You know, just study the Scriptures more. Pray to God more. That's not what it says. Instead, it says that you need to be a part of a group of people who care about your souls, that care about your soul, and and whose soul you care about because you need to be encouraging them and they need to be encouraging you day after day as long as the day is called today or as long as the day of the week ends in the the three letters D-A-Y. The way that we avoid or we we avoid self-deceit is by being in a con- the context of believers who encourage us and and whom we can encourage as well. That's the daily antidote. It helps prevent us from the hardening of hearts. That's why the the local church is so critical to our Christian lives. That that sanctification is a community project. That ju- justification happens individually. There's no you know there's no mass justification that's going on. That that you can just you know everybody just get saved on behalf of everybody else or something. Justification happens when one person trusts in Christ alone. Christ alone. It's, it's an individual choice. But then sanctification is something that we need to work at ourselves individually, but it's also something that we need to do within the context of believers. That, that sanctification is a community project. And without sanctification, holiness, no one... We'll see the Lord. So we guard ourselves against self-deceit by having um, a good accountability with other believers who love us and with whom and and whom we love as well. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter twelve because the next the next um, the next reason why we want to pursue biblical accountability is because Scripture encourages honesty about weakness. Scripture encourages honesty about weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Paul is in the midst of a long section here in 2 Corinthians where he's defending his apostleship against false apostles that are invading the church. In chapter 11, he talks about boasting. Uh, since many are boasting in the way of the world, I too will boast. And, you know, just please just humor me, he says. You know, if I must boast, I'm going to boast in the things that show my weakness. This is what I'm going to boast about. Well, unlike the world which boasts in its strength, Paul wants to focus on his weakness. Why? Because he knows God works through weakness. And then in verse 7 of chapter 12, he talks about the thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what the specific problem was. It could be a, a an illness. that Many scholars believe it's an illness. Others believe that it's actually a person. Um, but whatever it is, Paul pleads with the Lord to take it away. And Christ says, my grace is sufficient for you. Would someone read verse 9? He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Rather than taking the pain away, God provides grace for Paul to endure the trial. And so God's power somehow is shown through Paul's weakness. And that's why he says, that's why I'm going to boast in my weakness. Because God's power somehow rests in me when I'm weak. When I'm weak, He is strong. I'm going to take delight in my weakness. In my, uh, verse 10, in my insults, in my distresses, in my persecutions, with my difficulties. I'm going to boast in all those things. Because that's how Christ's power is evident in me. As God provides grace to go through a trial, this is the real strength that God gives. This is the real strength that we have. It's in our weaknesses. When God works through our weaknesses to show His His strength. So, that's why Paul says uh, at the end of verse 10, for when I am weak, then I am strong. How do you view your own weakness? One of the great barriers to a person seeking wise counsel on a sin that that is destroying them is, you know, I didn't want to come and and seek counsel from someone else. I didn't want to talk to another believing friend about this issue because I didn't want to appear weak before anyone. And how do you view your weakness? Paul's saying, listen, that, that weakness is a good thing. It's the way that highlights God's strength in contrast to the world which teaches us to project confidence and boast in our strength, Paul encourages us Christians to be honest about our weaknesses because it's in our weakness that God shows His strength. And when we talk about sin being a weakness, okay, it's not that God somehow um, loves it when we keep our sin, just keep it going, you know, just keep increasing in it. But rather that God, God is strong or shown to be strong as He as he helps us to work through those things. All right. So the vitality of accountability, the the reasons why we pursue accountability. We Scripture warns us against concealing our sins. Scripture warns about self deceit and encourages honesty about weakness. Um, before we get to the guidelines, let me uh, let me invite you to turn to James five. In God's great wisdom, He caused us to be to live in a community, and that's why He gave us the church. And in His great kindness, He puts us in the middle of these communities where we can hear God's Word preached and 
we can grow alongside other believers who are hearing the same word preached. And you might say, well, I get plenty of encouragement from fellowship at church and reading God's word, and I can get along just fine without any other accountability relationships. You know, I, I can just come to this service, listen to the message, listen to the singing, and then, and then I can go home, and that's just good enough for me. I'm not going to get involved in any accountability relationships. Well, I would say to you that that's fine. If you want to think that way, then go ahead, but it's dangerous. Because your sin, my sin, is serious business. It affects our lives and it pervades every part of our lives. It goes beyond anything that we can imagine. And so, based on these three reasons that that I've just uh, shown you here, um, I think that accountability is not just advisable, but I think it's a necessary part of our Christian growth. Now, again, I don't think that we should get in accountability relationships with every single person in the church. I don't think that's wise. Uh, But there should be a few close people that we are especially um, concerned about their sin, that that, that we're um, being open about our sin to some extent. And um, I I think that ought to be going on. Chapter 5 of James Verse 19, My brethren, if any of you among, uh, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is one of the great values of the church, of a church who's concerned about holiness, a church who's concerned about the, the truth of God, is that, that they are watching out for the souls of other people. I've seen this happen in our church. I've seen this happen in other churches, and and this is a beautiful thing. When when someone turns a sinner from the errors of his way, Jude talks about it like rescuing somebody from the flames. It's as if we're we're walking down the pathway towards righteousness, towards final salvation, and we're we're teetering on the edge of destruction. And someone who's who's watching out for their soul sees their sins, sees their sin, and 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 rescues them from the flames that were sure to come if they had if they had continued to drift off the path towards righteousness. And so that's that's why I think we need to have um accountability. I think our sin is so serious and if we take lightly our enemy sin then we won't be concerned about accountability relationships. We won't be concerned about exposing our own sin before people whom we trust um we're we're just going to keep it to ourselves and hope it goes away. And and often that's not the case. Any questions or comments on the need for it? All right, so I want to suggest some guidelines for accountability relationships to make your accountability relationships effective at digging out the sin that pervades your life. Here are nine general principles that, that we can follow when we come into these kinds of relationships. Number one, ask good questions. The best reporters, the best scientists, the best detectives, the best students ask the following five questions. Who, what, where, when, and why? Okay, these are my friends that taught me all that I knew. Okay, um, So you, you want to learn something, then ask good questions. In the Bible, we learn that in order to really understand another person, we have to ask good questions. Solomon writes, the purpose... The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Okay, so don't say, hey, how are things going this week? Good. All right, good. 
Excellent. Good to hear. Okay, if you're in a close relationship with another believer, and you should be, then ask deeper questions. And, and even tell them, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I want you to ask me deep questions as well. Um, because I want you to, to see if there are any blind spots that I'm missing. And so if you're going to get at their sin and you're going to allow them to get at your sin, then you need to ask good questions and be willing to have them ask good questions. Heart-penetrating type questions. Questions that go beyond the surface. That draw out the sin that from the deepest recesses of the heart okay, without laying them down on the couch. Um, you know, do, do as much as you can and some, some good thoughtful questions. Consider Fred who struggles with gambling. You can start by asking fact-finding questions to understand the circumstance, circumstances that surround the sin. You know, when did this problem start? How often do you waste your money through gambling? What situations are more likely uh, to, to cause you to gamble? And then you can go deeper and ask more penetrating questions like, what are you trying to get out of your gambling winnings? You know, what self-centered motives make you gamble instead of save? What's the payoff for gambling and do you really think it's worth it? How do you plan to give an account for God and tell Him how you used His resources with your gambling habits? Okay, so that's just kind of a, uh, maybe that's not an issue that we come across in, in our kinds of churches, but, um, but maybe it's something else like, like pornography or anger. You know, you can ask deeper questions that, that kind of get at the heart of, of what the problem is. And rather than just saying, well, you know, just stop doing that. Um, don't do that anymore. Instead, try to get a little deeper, help them to see their sin for what it is, and help help them to see how the Scriptures speak to that. All right, secondly, don't be scared to confront. When you see sin in someone else's life, you need to be willing to confront it. That's the hard part because we don't want to... We don't want to um, harm our relationships. We feel like we're going to harm our relationship or we, we could really put them off. Like, they're, they're really going to be upset at me now and, and maybe they'll stop coming to church. Well, um, the most loving thing you can do is to point someone to the truth. Okay, so don't, don't think it's loving for you to just ignore their sin. Um, Proverbs 24, 5 and 6. Let's turn there. Proverbs 24, 5 and 6. Kind of a paradoxical two-verse uh, wisdom saying by by Solomon, but I think we can gain some value from this. Uh, Proverbs 24. That's not the right passage. I think it's um. Sorry, chapter 26. 26 verses 4 and 5. A little less Dixia going on there. Sorry about that. All right. Someone read verses 4 and 5 for us. Okay, so if we just look at the two commands, what are they? In verses four and five, what's the first command? Okay, so don't answer a fool in his folly. Remember, Solomon says another place, it's better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. Okay, so 
So in this case, he says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. What's the second command? Answer a fool according to his folly. Okay, so what do you want us to do here, Solomon? That's why I say paradoxical. Uh, it's a little bit, it, it seems like they're, he's telling us to do opposite things. But I think there's some wisdom in here because he's actually saying that, that we need to evaluate the situation based on the situation, based on what the person's doing, you know, how, how he's responding, given the, the specific situation. In some cases, we don't want to answer them because then we can stoop to their level effectively and start acting in folly or foolishness. In other cases, we want to answer them because if we don't, then they'll, they'll be conceited. They'll be wise in their own eyes. They'll think they have it all figured out. So in some cases, we need to answer them. Okay, and by the way, I think we're talking about fools and their follies. I think, you know, in, in my study of Proverbs, I, I come to, to think that the fool is synonymous with the wicked. That is, someone who is opposed to God, not a believer. Okay, so fool and his folly. Don't think, you know, I got, there's lots of fools and their folly in this church. Um, uh, there, there could be if we're talking about unbelievers, but, but uh, I, th- I think this is referring to unbelievers. So, but in those cases, you want to be careful about how you confront them. Okay, so with a fool and their folly, if we're talking about an unbeliever, you want to be, you want to be careful. Sometimes you want to respond to them, sometimes you don't. But we're actually talking about within the context of believing relationships, and so I think the principle that we can draw out from this and then use for our believing relationships is this. You need to be willing to confront them because what can happen to a fool in his folly can also happen to a believer. And that is that they can become wise in their own eyes. Like, this problem is not a problem. This issue that you keep calling sin is not really that big of a deal. And I, I think we've got to be careful about silently sitting by and and just ignoring it. And really, in some cases, we condone their sins when we don't say anything about it. Obviously, there's a there's a means by which we we do that. We'll we'll talk about some of those here coming up. But uh, you know, Jesus says to make sure you get the beam out of your own eye before you go around, you know, nitpicking everybody else's uh, sins. So so make sh- but but there's still a command there, by the way. Okay, do do tell them about the sliver in their eye, but don't do it when you have a beam in yours. That's the point. See, sometimes we take that and say, well, I'm not going to talk to them at all about their sin. That's not what Jesus' point was at all. Well, stop being hypocritical when you do it. Number three, be honest. Few things better in this life than an honest answer from a friend. Again, as I said earlier, the most loving thing you can do to a friend is tell them the truth. Listen to Proverbs 24, 26. And on, uh, you can turn there. Why don't you turn there? It's, you're right there. Proverbs 24, 26. He kisses the lips who gives the right answer. Or, in other words... An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Solomon would know, right? Solomon considered an honest answer to be just as wonderful as a kiss. He, he's saying that, that honest answers are crucial and, and I think that they are necessary for an accountability. That you can only care for another person as long as you're willing to be forthright with them. If you're going to just you know, tell them what they want to hear every time, you're not helping them. You know, it's like the doctor who who doesn't want to hurt your feelings and comes into the room knowing that you have some serious illness and says, don't worry, just just keep doing what you're doing. You're good. And while we may want that kind of a doctor, in some cases it's not very helpful 
long term. It's not going to reap good benefits for us physically. And the same thing is true with us spiritually. Now, some people are just by nature too honest. You know, <laughs> they like to be honest about everything. But I think we need people like that in our lives um, because because we need to have the truth spoken to us. And and by the way, there, there's a way to do that. Ephesians 4 says to speak the truth to one another in what? In love. Okay, so... How would you want to have the, that same truth spoken to you? And whatever that is, then 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 that's how you ought to be speaking that truth to someone else. All right, let's keep moving. Number four, be vulnerable. Accountability does not work if you're not willing to be vulnerable. Um, this is hard because it's incredibly uncomfortable having other people, you know, kind of getting into your stuff, looking at your sin, messing with your life thinking badly about you. But I think for mutual accountability to work, you've got to let yourself be known to others. You know, you can't just say, well, I'm 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 the one who's going to be getting into people's stuff and it's going to be your stuff, but you can't get any of mine. Don't ask questions to me because I'm not going to answer them. And even though Paul had rebuked the Corinthians for their sin, he had not stopped speaking frankly with them and he did not stop being open with them. 2 Corinthians 6.11, We have spoke, spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. So he's saying, listen, I've I've not been hiding things from you, and yet I have to chastise you because you're closing your hearts to me. He goes on to say in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, we're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, so open wide your hearts also to me. So for mutual accountability to work, you you have to let others be intrusive. Now, intrusive has a bad connotation in our culture, but I I think the word is helpful here because it needs to be more than superficial. We need to get down below the surface. That's superficial. You know, we need we need to get deeper. We need to intrude in into their lives a little bit and find out about the pride, the selfishness, the pain, the suffering, the fear of man that's behind these things. You need to speak to those areas to other people graciously, but also let them do that to you as well. Number five, be gracious. Paul writes in Colossians, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone. Do you know people like this? That just every time they talk to you, no matter how difficult the situation, no matter how, um, no matter how deep it is, or matter how much it's about your sin, whatever it is, they just know how to speak with grace. Now, some people can speak with grace. That's because they're not talking about anything too deep. But but you know other people who just have that gentle tone, that loving attitude toward you all the time. And that's the kind of people we need to be. Paul says this in Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace. And so, especially when we're talking about things that are have to do with sin, some things that are painful, uncomfortable, and difficult for that person to 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 have exposed. That's especially when grace is needed, I think. That you recognize, listen, I'm I'm also too plagued by sin. I too have been stained by sin. I too am beset by sin in this race of the Christian life. And so I can speak to them in grace, not with a harsh tone, how dare you, you you worthless slave, how could you possibly do this? Um, 
So be gracious. Number six, be humble. A mutual accountability relationship is a meeting between two sinners, both of whom need God's grace and mercy. And so pride, vengeance, hatred, manipulation are all self-destructive and they ruin genuine biblical accountability. And when we are constantly responding in that way to other people's sins, we damage the trust that we have with that person. And so, we have to, when we talk about their sin or our sin, we we must never do it with a sinful attitude. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect when you address someone else's sin, but you always must be careful about your motives when you're talking to them about their sin. Is this in order to advance yourself? You know, is this in order to to get rid of a problem? You know, this this becomes a problem to me because your sins affects more than just you. It's affecting me now, and so since it's affecting me, then you know, I wish you'd just cut it out because it's really draining on me. You know, what what's the point of it? Are you really trying to improve their relationship with God or see them improve their relationship with God? Humility is necessary for this. It levels the playing field and says to the other person, "Listen, I'm a sinner." just as desperately as you are in need of God's grace, that that even in this deep sin in what you've committed, um, I, I, am, I too am in need of God's grace. And if, if it were not for the grace of God, so, so would that be me. You know, even if it's someone who, you know, let's say they commit some serious felony, you know, they, they murdered somebody or, and, and they did it, you know, like like David did, and you go to them and and you go with humility and say, and say, "Listen, I too am in need of grace." I mean that that changes the way that you can relate to that person, as opposed to coming with them with a great amount of arrogance and condescension. Um, we we need to be humble if we're going to to help them, especially long term. Be encouraging. Encouragement is an important part of accountability. It's someone who speaks to what they need to hear. Someone who is discouraged by the weight of their sin and need to be encouraged. And so an honest pursuit of sin can lead to discouragement. And so be careful that you don't overwhelm the person. Instead, encourage them. Show them that there's hope. You know, that it's not about your... Um, it's not it's not just about your work or your effort is going to bring you to a place of peace but but it's about God's grace that's going to keep you all the way. And so I think we have to to guard against the balance of too much too soon, you know, kind of just laying on them. In some cases it's you know like Paul he he went after Peter um when Peter was was uh acting one way around the Gentiles when the Jews weren't there. And then he's acting a different way when the Jews were there, and Paul said, "Shame on you!" You know, and he, he, he Paul says, "I opposed him to his face," and so I think that's appropriate in some cases, but but in other cases we we have to be careful about giving them too much, too soon, and then we have to be careful careful on the other side of giving them too little too infrequently. You know, just sorry, you know, hope that works out for you. Um, I, maybe there'll be another time later that I can talk about it. So we need to guard against that the, the dangers on both sides. As a discipler, you need to be wise about how you help someone see their own sin. So consider things like, how much can this person handle? 
Are, are they in a position where they have ears to hear, like Jesus would say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What encouraging signs of spiritual growth have you seen in them and have you encouraged with, this informa- with the information that you know about them? Um, be serious about their sin, but, but know how to, to handle it, how to attack it in their lives with them. Number eight, be available. <clears throat> if you have just an extremely busy schedule, then don't commit yourself to help someone that needs your regular help because accountability involves a weekly or consistent commitment. And so if you have someone that says, you know, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about killing myself. And you say, well, I can help you. And then your schedule overwhelms you and you say, well, I, you know, I'll have to get back to him in a couple of weeks. I'll have to get back to him in a month. Well, that, that doesn't work. Okay, when, the, when a situation is that serious, if you're, going to <clears throat> if you're going to commit to that kind of thing, make sure that you're available for them. Say, listen, you can call me anytime. You can call me at work. You can call me in the middle of the night. I, I will pick up that call. Um, so if you don't have time for someone, then tell them that. Um, but, but be available, especially when the sin is deep and it's, and it's uh, starting to snowball. Uh, make sure that you're, you're available for them. And then, number nine, be word-centered. <clears throat> be word-centered. There's a danger of limiting discipleship relationships to accountability only. So you get together talking about all these sin struggles, and yet there's no positive reinforcement that, hey, let, let's, let's try to be proactive about this. You know, or you, you kind of have the sin struggle that you've been dealing with for a long period of time, and you finally get to kind of a level playing field again and back to peace and you think, well, okay, well, we're not going to meet anymore. Well, maybe that's the best time to meet because you're preparing for the next battle that's ahead, that, that, that you're preparing to mind. Remember when we were talking about suffering, you're dealing with people with suffering, the best time to deal with people uh, with regard to suffering is not when the suffering is there. That doesn't mean don't do it during that time, but the best time to deal with them about suffering is before it comes. And I think the same thing's true about sin. The best time to help them with their sin is before it comes. Um, help them to think rightly about God and what He says about sin. Our sin is self-deceiving. It, it distorts our proper Christian worldview. And we've got to constantly be moving that sin out of the way so that it doesn't blind us, that it doesn't become a stumbling block to our relationship with God and others. Any questions? All right, now the hard part. Is there someone that you could, if you don't already, get into a relationship with at our church with whom you could be accountable and talk with them about things that are deeper than the weather and the sports scores? Okay, is there someone here that 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 you could get into a relationship with and maybe just tell them, hey, listen, you know, I... I recognize that I could be hardened by the deceitfulness of my own sin. And so would you be willing to keep me accountable and ask me difficult questions and maybe just, you know, um, I don't know if it has to be a formal weekly type of thing, but but I think when we're serious about sin, we want, we want to include other believers who are also serious about sin. And um, so I, I would just encourage you in that way. It may not be something you do today before you leave today, but it may. You know, maybe something that you want to think about. But I think accountability is is important because 
we tend to, by nature, conceal our sin. We tend to be self-deceived, and um, and we we tend to not recognize the importance of weakness in our relationships. And uh, so I think accountability can help us in that way. All right, the final class here. We're cutting this down from 13 classes to 12 I mentioned earlier. So, and this is off your schedule too. This is different than your schedule says. So, um, hazards and joy of discipling. This will be the final class. So, all of the questions that you've been saving up for this entire series, that'll be your time. All right, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for uh, your grace in revealing to us our sin. Lord, we don't like to think about our sin. It's, it's easier just to ignore and, and focus on other things in life and and uh, kind of cloud out our our thoughts of our own sin. Um, and and we're thankful for people who who recognize the the serious dangers that are ahead when we allow our sin to continue. So we pray that you would just help naturally uh, relationships to form and also that people would work at relationships um, and that, that each of us would have at least one or two people where we can um, talk to them about serious spiritual issues and, um, and be willing to be held accountable and hold them accountable. Lord, uh, we pray for your help in this and we pray for your mercy here as we, we go into this next service which we reflect on your mercy and, and your greatness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.